The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Many theologians in the religious world believe that all things that happen in this world are predetermined by God. But is that what the Bible teaches? Today, Elder Tim McCool takes us to 1 Samuel chapter 23 and shares with us an episode that occurred in the life of David, which demonstrates that rather than all things being predestinated, there are many choices we can make in this life. However, What we will learn is that God and his overruling providence is the God of all possibilities. Due to the length of the sermon today, we won't have a song, but join us as we learn about this important biblical principle. appreciate the opportunity to speak to you for a few minutes here tonight. If you'll turn to 1 Samuel, I want to read a few verses of scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 23. And I want to talk to you about the God of all possibilities. 1 Samuel 23, we're going to read a little more than normal, but I want you to get the whole context of what's going on here as we find David on the run from, I don't refer to him at at this point as King Saul anymore because he is without question dethroned. He has been dethroned, and David is the king. David is the king, but he's on the run. He's actually an in-law to Saul, but now he's become an outlaw. (laughs) So his his in-law is an outlaw. Saul's in-law. So let's read in verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. I think that's in there just for a noted reason, because that, that had to do with the food supply of the people of Israel. And that really incensed David when he heard that they were messing with the food, the food supply of his people, especially this being in the land of Judah, his, his home tribe. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, David was prompted to go and fight because it made him so mad about what they were doing. These Philistines who he had helped rout and defeat, you know, sometime before, maybe a year or two before. David's probably about 20 years old at this point. 
And he inquires of the Lord, and he says, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men, if you remember, these guys are the four to 600 men who were dis discontent, in debt, and distressed. These guys were a bunch of losers, is who these guys were. But don't look at them too harshly because these bunch of losers become the national heroes of Israel. So you say, well, I'm not going to you know, have anything to do with that guy, that girl. They're a loser. Well, you better be careful because that loser, like these losers right here, may become national heroes. So be very cautious about how you look at other people. David's men said to him, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the Philistines? There's only four or 500 of us. And David being the gracious and godly, kind, merciful shepherd king that he was, he didn't look at him and say, get over it, man, and just do what I tell you to do. He inquired of the Lord again. He prayed again to be double sure that this was the possibility that the Lord would permit to become a reality. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Don't forget that. He saved them from starvation, from murder. He saved them from slavery. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that's another story altogether, but that he came down with an ephod in his hand. He said, what in the world is that in there for? Because David is fixing to do something very strange. And to be quite honest, he may have already done that with the first two things we've already read. The, the, the ephod was the breastplate of the high priest. And it had stones engraved upon it. A couple of those stones were what were known as the Urim and the Thummim. We'll speak some more about that here in just a moment. But just keep that in mind. This ephod had not a magical connotation to it or a magical element to it, but it had a spiritual, a Holy Spirit element to it. And so this, this ephod is something that David consults for answers. Now, don't ask me how that works. I don't know. Nobody knows. No commentator knows exactly how that works because nobody's ever seen it happen. But I'll, I'll give you my thoughts about what I think. But it says here in verse 7, it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. Because David just delivered Keilah. These are folks in the home tribe of Judah, by the way. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand. Do you know anything about Saul at this point? If you read the word of God, he is out of his mind. He is mad with jealousy. He's lost his mind to his sin nature. He's still a child of God. Don't forget that. But he has lost his mind because he's such a jealous egomaniac. And he actually thinks that God has delivered David into his hands. That's how twisted up a child of God can get in their thinking if they're not following the Lord. He thinks God has delivered David into his hand. And that's the, that is the opposite of the truth. God has not delivered him into his hand. He God will not deliver David into the hand of Saul. And Saul is completely dethroned as the king. David is the rightful king. But somebody tells Saul that David is in Keilah, and David says, God is, uh, Saul says, God has delivered him into my hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, he said, Bring hither the ephod. Now, I think this is what David did 
the same thing David did before he went down to fight at Keilah, fight the Philistines. I think that's what he did. That's just my thought. But here he says to Abiathar, bring the ephod. And David said, let's ask the ephod. I know it sounds weird. It sounds like something, you know, out of a, a magic book or something. But David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. You hear that? It's not just about David. David knows that if Saul comes, like, like Saul has, has, does at other times, Saul, uh, David knows that Saul is going to destroy, destroy the city. And he asks him two questions. First of all, he says, will Saul come down? And then he says, will the inhabitants or the citizens of Keilah, will they deliver me up to Saul? He asks him two questions. He asks God two questions. He asks it of the ephod. And God says, yes, Saul will come down. And he says, yes, the people of Keilah, who you just delivered from death and set them free from the Philistines, they will give you up. Now, don't think for one second that politics is something new. Those guys turned an about face just like that. He just delivered them. And now God says, if Saul comes down here and besieges the city, which he's going to wipe out, he's, he's going to say, if you don't turn David over to me, I'm going to destroy your city. And the inhabitants, the faithful inhabitants of Keilah, who are so thankful to David for the way that he just delivered them, are going to be like Benedict Arnold and turn him over just like that. They're going to be like Judas Iscariot and just turn, turn over David, the anointed of God. So David gets a look into the future, into the possibility of this happening. Now, if I do my job here tonight, and I explain this the way that the Word of God teaches it, we, we all should come away with a more magnified view of God and a very little view of ourselves. Now, if I tell you outright that that's my goal, how can that be wrong? <laughs> How can that be wrong? If I want you to have a more magnified view of God and you see yourself as something more needy and, and more dependent upon God, then I've accomplished what I set out to do. So David asks God, will Saul come? God says he will. Okay? And he says, will the people of Keilah turn me over? He says, they will. Then verse 13 then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbore to go forth. <laughs> Did that just blow your mind? Let that soak in. Because it, it blows my mind. Here's where God said something will happen. But it didn't. Now you can, you can consult theologians and commentators, and you can get high in your thinking and, and, and say, I've got all that figured out because God just suggested this and blah, blah. It is what it is, and it says what it says. And here's why. Because we serve the God of all possibilities. God saw the possibility here. See, that's how, see if, if you can see God as the God of all possibilities, he becomes a super sovereign in your mind. A super sovereign that, are you telling me, Brother Tim, that the Lord can look out through my life at the choices that are in front of me and see 
What happens when I go to the end, I might go to the end of every one of those different hundreds of choices that are in front of me. That's exactly what this is teaching. And if that makes you cling to God a little bit tighter, I hope that's what it does. If that makes you use your faith a little bit more, I mean, what is faith? It's to trust that somebody above you knows something that's good for you. And that's God. I mean, what's the point of faith if you just say, well, everything's just going to happen the way it's going to happen? Did you know Matthew Henry, the commentator, he wasn't even a Baptist. And he said that God knows not only what will be, but what would be. Now look, this does not take away the decrees of God. You understand that? See, that's what happens. A lot of people get that confused. They think that the decrees of God and things that absolutely will come to pass that cannot be thwarted because as Nebuchadnezzar said after he'd been put out to pasture for about seven years and he, he grew, his hair grew out and his nails grew out like bird claws, when he came to his senses again, he said that none can stay the hand of God. None can say unto him, what doest thou? That there are decrees of God that cannot be thwarted. You know, God had a decree to begin the world, to begin the universe. God had a decree to send His Son to die for our sins. That God has a decree that whenever everything is done and the last child of God is born again, He's coming back. Nothing can prevent, no man, no army, no global warming, no anything that you want to fill in the blank can prevent that decree of God. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But that does not mean that everything that happens is decreed of God. Because God is the God of all possibilities. may make you want to step a little bit caref more careful when you step out in the parking lot tonight. Look, you say, well, Brother Tim, I don't know if I really like the way you're, you're trying to scare us. You're absolutely right. I am. I am trying to scare you. Scare you to cling to God just a little bit more. But one thing you'll never hear me do is to scare you about your eternal salvation. You see, you say, well, it's not right for us to scare people. Well, all the other groups out there are scaring people. They're saying, if you don't choose, if you don't turn, you'll burn. If you don't do this, and especially around Halloween. Oh, my goodness. Don't go to the Christian Halloween uh, scare places because, you know, they're trying to scare you out of the lake of fire to make a decision for the Lord. They're constantly. It's a fear tactic. And I love what Brother Luke Hagler preached this morning at, at the church. He preached that the gospel, that anything that comes of fear is not the gospel. The good news is the decree of God is He has saved His people from their sins. He foreknew you before the foundation of the world. He has placed His Spirit inside of you sometime between conception and death. And He is going to come back and get you one day. And He paid for your sins on the cross. Those are decrees of God. Those are the all things that are listed in Romans the 8th chapter. It's not everything that happens. It's the decrees of God that He said, I foreknew you, I predestinated you, I have called you, I've justified you, I will glorify you. And yet, and yet He speaks of it as past tense. You see, that's not a possibility. It is a reality. And I will never scare anyone about their eternal salvation. But I want you to be real careful how you walk in this dark and troubled world. For example, over in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon the wisest man aside from Jesus that ever lived, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He warns us about a type of person, and, and you could flip this, the, the women could flip this to the strange man, the, and it's listed about the strange woman there. He says, I have searched, and he said, and I find more bitter than death the woman, and it could be a man if you're dealing with a woman, or it could work either way, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. And he that is wise will escape from her. 
See, there's the possibility that a person might not escape from her. But then there's the possibility that he might or she might. You see, there's all types of possibilities for our life. Let me ask you this. You often hear people say, you know, let's be the best, be the best version of yourself. Well, this is the biblical way to say that. Find the best possibility for your life. You see, in the decisions of your life and the things that you do, you can find the best possibility. I tell you, this gives greater meaning to the disciples' prayer that the Lord Jesus, the, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, as the brother prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pointed different, didn't I? <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> I confused you on that one. You see, the will of God, it can only be done in heaven. I mean, it's not possible for the will of God to not be done in heaven. You know, the cherubims are there crying, holy, holy, holy. The, the saints of God, the spirits of God that have gone on before the spirits of the saints are there praising God. Untold quadrillions up there. And it's all focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and praising His name. It is not possible that the will of God will not be done in heaven. But down here on earth, when it comes to our discipleship and our following the Lord and the things that happen in this life, that's why He said, pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I got it right that time. You see, because there's the possibility that the will of God for your life might not be done, depending on the decisions that you make. And what would have happened to David if he just stayed there? Saul would have come, and the people of Keilah would have turned him over. Now, I do not believe for one second that they would have killed him, that Saul would have killed him. God would have delivered him some other way. But do not discount the providence of God in your life. Because God is a God of all possibilities. You know, this is a personal note, but I believe that the, the dear one that I married back in 1996, Sister Tracy, I believe that she is the best possibility for a spouse for me in, that I could ever find in, in 10 lifetimes. That's how I feel about that. I believe by the grace of God, I found the best possibility now, I don't know if she'd feel that way. I hope she would. <laughs> but, but I believe she does. But you understand, finding the best possibility of a spouse, finding the best possibility of a job for you, finding the best possibility of church experience for you, that's there. And it has to do with how you apply yourself to the Word of God, listening to the Spirit of God, and following the faith that God has given you. You see? Makes you want to walk a little bit more careful. Makes you a little bit, a lot more, I hope, dependent upon the Spirit of God. Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, guide me. I, I know whereof I speak because I look back on the foolishness of my life and the direction that my directions that my life was going and how I was following what I wanted to do and I thought this was best for me and I stepped back finally by the grace of God when I come to my senses at some point. I know you think I don't have any sense, but I come to my senses and, and the Lord says... Ask me what you would have me to do. I asked the Lord and I'm like, oh my goodness, the possibility that I'd followed out here would have destroyed me and this possibility almost destroyed me and so forth and so on. And you step back and you look at the possibilities of where you could be, you can only say praise God for His deliverance. Amen. I stand before you today because of the, of the blessing of God guiding a, a, a poor, foolish sinner. <laughs> I was speaking with a young excuse me, I was speaking with a grandmother here not too long ago. 
And she was telling me about the death of her son. And this young man who passed away a, a couple years ago, not around here, but this young man was 27 years old. Very, very smart. College graduate, had the ability to go on and even get more education, you know, a master's or a PhD or whatever. But the problem in this young man's life is that he encountered one of those women that, whose heart was a snare and a net. And she lived just down the road from where this young man lived. And systematically, this young man began to go by there and get things from this, this woman whose heart was snares and nets, and she would give him things, and he would buy things from her, and he would ingest those things into his body until he became an addict. And at 27, year old, 27 years old, he died. And the, the mother sat there and talked to me, and she said, you know, he had so much potential. He could have offered so much. He had so many things that he wanted to do. But he met a tragic end. Now, do you think for one second that is the best possibility for that young man's life? Absolutely not. And don't think for one second that Satan is he's not out there trying to trip you up, trip me up, and destroy wherever he, he's there. To, to, he seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy at every turn that he possibly can. You, I, do you think that Samson reached the best possibility of his life when he's blind and he's being used like a, like a, a plow ox? In, in the grind hall where he's just pushing around the grinder again and again. You think that's the best possibility. You say, well, you know, he went out on a high note. He, he could have done so much more. Do you know how old he was? He was 38 years old. He was, a, he was one of the greatest judges of Israel. But he was so selfish and he would not repent of the sin of his eyesight. He would not repent from looking and lusting. He would not repent and come back to his senses, his spiritual senses, and he met a tragic end. A child of grace, it can happen to any child of God. We need to seek the God of all possibilities for our life. Now, there's one reality, as I said, and I say it again, you cannot and don't want to change it. You know, I never met anybody that had a bad case of the salvations and wanted to get rid of it. <laughs> That's a reality that cannot be changed. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on a holy God who will not change His promise. There's a shall and a will that cannot be taken away. But there's all types of trouble and trials that God's children can bring upon themselves. So what is the ephod that David consulted? The ephod was a, was a breastplate of the priest, as I said. And the Urim and the Thummim was something on that breastplate. It was some kind of, maybe some kind of ocular type device. When I was reading this, it's a terrible example. But, but by the way, I gave this terrible example previously when I was preaching on this, and then somebody came up to me later and gave me a worse example. So I don't feel so bad about this one. But, but I know you're dying to know what the worst one is, I'll tell you. But I used to, this made me think of the old eight ball. Y'all remember that folks from the 80s? You know, you shake that eight ball and this little cloudy thing would come up and it'd tell you your future. You know, you might say, you know, well, well, what do I need to be or, or where do I need to go? And something just weird would come up and you'd sit there and you'd think, oh, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's witchcraft. It's close to witchcraft. It doesn't mean anything. So as I was sharing that, somebody came up later. She said, this person said, hey, you know, that made me think of the old Ouija board. <laughs> 
You know, Ouija board's worse than the eight ball. It's where, you know, you used to put, you'd put your hand, I didn't do it, but you'd put your hand on it and it's supposed to guide you by some force or something to tell you yes or no. That's not what the ephod is. But, and listen, don't think for one second if somebody looks at an eight ball or, or the horoscope or the, or the Ouija board. I'm telling you, there could be a force directing some of that, but it's not God. And it could lead you to places. You know, the devil is the master of half-truths. That's how the whole mankind was murdered. It was a half-truth. He said, he, he, he told an absolute lie. He said that, that she, Satan looked at Eve and said, half God said that you can't eat of the fruit. She said, oh no, we can eat of the fruit. Just leave the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone. And then uh, Satan says, uh, she says, because we'll die. And then Satan says, thou shalt not surely die. And he goes on and shares a half-truth. He says, but ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. That was a half-truth, you see, because they did come to know good, good from evil, but it wasn't in the way that Satan had, had carried it over to her. You see, it was not in the way that he had presented it. So you might get a half-truth. And I tell you what, a half-truth will confuse you more than a truth. Because <laughs> you start trying to figure out the other half. So this is not a Ouija board, and this is not an eight ball. By the way, the Urim and the Thummim is on, or a version of it, is on the Yale University coat of arms, if you ever check that out. But understand, whatever it was, they looked at it, and it pretty much would give like a yes or a no answer. Should, David says, will Saul come? And this Urim and Thummim says, yes, and it's from God. And he says, will the men of Keilah deliver me up? And it says, yes. You see? So I know some of you are sitting there thinking, because I was thinking it too. Don't you wish we had one of those? <laughs> I tell you what, if we had one of those, we'd worship that more than we would the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you got something better than one of those, and I'm holding it in my hand right now. This is not a Ouija board. It's not an eight ball. And it's not the Urim and the Thummim, and it's not the ephod. It's better than that because it doesn't just give you a yes or no answer. It gives you more than yes or no. It's God's love letter to you as a child of grace, and it will tell you what you need to know. You see, Brother Tim, is it really going to tell me if I need to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, you know, a farmer? What is it going to? No, it's not going to tell you that, but it's going to tell you how to act in those positions. It's going to tell you how to act in those occupations, how to honor God in those situations, you see? Is it really going to tell me that, Brother Tim, that like you, you know, did it tell you Mary Tracy Jennings? It did not tell me that, but it told me the type of person to look for, you see? And by the grace of God, I believe I found the best possibility for me. You have something better than the Urim and the Thummim. You have the Word of God. Listen, did you know this? I don't know. I think Brother Chris knows this. But I've pondered this possibility many times. Back in the 1970s, I'm told by some older folks that my great uncle, Elder Uli McCool, who used to preach here and other places over in, in Mississippi, that he had struck up a friendship and was, was friends with our great-grandfather, Charles, uh, Charles Manley Springer, who was the pastor at Bethlehem. And, you know, back in those days, these churches were at odds over doctrine. By the way, a lot of what they were at odds over is what I'm preaching to you here tonight, the truth of what I'm preaching to you. But I've looked back on that, and as the brother was telling me, they were friends, and they spent a lot of time together. You know, I sat there and pondered in my silly mind. I thought, you know, what if? What if the church had gotten back, the churches had gotten back together in the 1970s? It was a possibility, but it just didn't happen then. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't just work in one generation? 
He can work in the next generation. He can turn it on a dime. He can turn revival on a dime. He can restore fellowship on a dime. But I've looked back on that and I thought, you know, I wonder what kind of discussions they had. I'm sure they, they're two preachers. They had to talk about the Bible, my goodness. <laughs> that seems like a lot of times that's all preachers want to talk about, which is great. <laughs> but you see, that was a possibility. When you look at the examples in the Word of God, what I'm preaching to you and what I'm teaching you here tonight, it can, it can only make sense. When you think about people in the Word of God like Lot, who had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come back to his uncle Abraham. He had so many opportunities to come back. When Abraham saved him from being a prisoner of war, and Lot was standing by there looking when, watching when Melchizedek came along, the high priest of God with no end of days, with no beginning, a pre-incarnation, I believe, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lot just went right back to Sodom. He chose poorly. If, if you could convince me that my uncle or my friend or my relative was the living friend of God, I'm going to build a house next door to him. I mean, think about it. You know, hey, here's a guy that gets a word from God. Now, it may be stretched out over a few years, four or five years, but this guy gets a word from God on a regular basis on a, over the number of years. I want to be close to that guy. And Lot chose the possibility of going and living in Sodom and seeing all the filth that was in Sodom and all the terrible abuse that went on in Sodom and the crime that went on in Sodom. And he could have been out there living somewhere on the hills at, you know, because he lost all of his cattle. He lost everything. He could have just gone out there and just been a doorkeeper in the house of Abraham. Uncle Abraham, you heard anything from Jehovah lately? Would you ask that question? I would. And Lot, in his pride, and in his arrogance, he just went back to where he was in the filth of where he was. He chose poorly. Amen? Amen. What about Samson? We mentioned him. What about Jonah? Jonah winds up in the belly of the whale because he disobeys God. But isn't God good? Even when you wind up in the belly of the whale, He can bring you out of that. And what about uh, Peter? You know, God, the Lord said, tonight you'll deny me three times. God didn't make him do that. He, he, God saw the possibility of him doing that. And it was like a 99.9% .9 possibility that he was going to do it because he was so often in, off in a, a distant place in his mind. He denied the Lord three times and he cursed and swore on the last time. I don't know the man. What a terrible choice Peter made. But isn't God good? God comes to him on the seashore there, bakes, him a, bakes them a, a, a meal there on the seashore, and he brings him back, doesn't he? Three times he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep, you see? God is so good. Even when we choose the wrong possibility for our lives, God can still intervene somewhere down the road because he is a sovereign God. What about you? I'm telling you, child of grace, the King Saul's of this world are looking to chase you down and destroy you. Did you know what King Saul had done just a few days before, a few weeks before Keala? He had slaughtered all of the priesthood, the practicing Levitical priesthood, but one. And that's the guy that went out there with the ephod to David. It just doesn't, the reading there in the Word of God just can't get any more riveting. God, uh, Saul and his foolishness slaughtered all of the priests but one. Those were the guys that, that, 
held the vision of Israel in trust. And I'm telling you, child of grace, the King Saul's of this world want to destroy your vision. They don't want you to see the vision of Christ. They don't want you to see the vision of the church. They don't want you to see the vision of the best possibility of your life, which is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the church of God and loving the people of God. That is the best possibility of your life. You ever heard the old saying, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. That is a truism. Somebody says, well, you know, I know it says you play with fire, you're going to get burned. But not me. Are you kidding me? That's pride talking. If you see the Lord as the God of all possibilities, you say, Lord, keep me from playing with fire. Keep me away. I know I'll get burned. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the story that I was just reminded of this recently. <laughs> but years and years ago when I was a teenager, <clears throat> My best friend in high school was Drew Wade. Some of y'all may know Drew. He's the president of West Alabama Bank, and he and I, we had a lot of fun. We, we, did, we did a lot of four-wheeler riding, a lot of camping out, and all types of things. So one night, Drew and I were going out camping. We were probably 15 or 16 years old. I was kind of the, you can imagine, I know you can't believe this, but I was sort of the ringleader. You know, I was the planner. I was planning everything. Amen. <laughs> old Drew was just sort of along for the ride. So I said, we're going to go camping. So we, we got our food. We got our stuff we're going to cook. We got our camp, camp stuff together, loaded up on the three-wheelers. And Yeah, back I'm that old. I, we had three-wheelers. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I went to Mom, and me, Drew and I were standing in the door. Said, All right, Mom, we're going camping. And she said, okay, honey, don't build a fire in the tent. And I went, ha, 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 ha. That's so funny. And she was serious. She actually advised me, don't build a fire in the tent. She actually thought I was that crazy that I would build a fire in the tent that would actually, actually, actually explode if you got fire on it. You know how those tents were. I looked at Mom and I was like, well, you're serious, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, don't build a fire in the tent. Listen, there's all kinds of God's children that are building fires in the tent. All kinds. I have built fires in the tent. I don't mean physically. But I have made choices that brought dire consequences to my life because I didn't listen to the Spirit of God, I didn't seek the Word of God, and I didn't follow the church of God. I followed my own desire. And it will lead you. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. If David had stayed in Keilah, he would have been captured. And I believe God would, would have delivered him but he would have been captured. It would have been a different possibility for his life. So when you go out there on the highways and the byways of the world today, tonight, the next days, and you see the sovereignty of God in a more magnified way, that there's all types of possibilities that I could fall off into. Lord, what is the best possibility for my life? What is the best way that I can be? What is the best situation I can put myself in? I'll tell you this. It'll never lead you away from the church of God. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace.
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.